Hi, I'm John Moist, and you're listening to the Grad Life Podcast, where we take a deep dive into topics related to graduate education at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you what I think is an incredibly important conversation. I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Joe Mirabelli, an Illinois PhD in educational psychology. And for those keeping notes at home, that's a 2023 PhD. So warm congratulations to Joe. In his dissertation, Joe studied how graduate students experience and cope with stress. I sat down with Joe to talk about his findings, what he learned from talking to graduate students about their stressors, and how those conversations impacted his own approach to handling life's ups and downs. Here's the interview. When we think about stressors in graduate school, you and I, and I have a quick shout out here on the side. So you did research live. Yes. So this, yeah. I know a little bit about your research from research live, but I'd still love for folks who have not heard anything about your research project. What is your quick little pitch when somebody says to you, oh, Joe, what do you do? Like, how do you sell it? Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, a lot of research, and there's great research out there looking at student mental health, student retention, and a lot of it looks at these interventions that kind of like help people to deal with the mental health challenges they already have or the stress that they already have, okay. you know, boosting counseling services, um, you know, putting resources in place that graduate students can use when they're in times of crisis. Yeah. Undoubtedly and all good things. Really important. Really oh, important yeah. work. Yeah. But one thing that I couldn't help feeling is that that feels like treating the disease and not the symptoms. Where do the mental health struggles come from? Where where are the sources of stress? Yeah. And so I started to look into the research and, um, you know, this was around the time I was writing a grant with Jennifer Cromley to look at this stuff. We were looking into it and it seemed like a lot of papers would take one single stressor phenomenon and look at that, they weren't really looking at the broad landscape of sources of stress. And that became what we decided to be interested in doing. So you might have a paper that is published that's, re again, really important, looks at, uh, at the advising relationship or looks at first-year doctoral students or um, looks at, like, what is it like if you're a black student with a black advisor versus a white advisor? You know, how sure, does that yeah. affect, like, the lab dynamic? Uh, what about, like, mixed race composition of labs? And there's, there's great research out there that targets those stressors individually, but we wanted to look at the landscape. And so what we're doing is this mixed methods project. So we're doing both qualitative research with interviews and then we're giving some previously existing psychometric surveys about stress, anxiety, intention to remain in graduate programs. And we've developed a new survey to measure sources of stress. And we're identifying all of these categories and trying to see, you know, at different stages in your program, at different times in the year, what's the, what are stressors that graduate students commonly face? And like, how severe are they? When do they occur? And trying to think about how we can treat all of them at the same time, but also, you know, figure out which ones might be contributing to, like, the worst issues that students face. I did not think starting with a purely quantitative approach made any sort of intuitive sense to me because, you know, no two people are going to fill a whole bunch of statistical variables at once. And I really... Uh, as I started to conceptualize doing social science research, I was like, this is so different and in many ways more challenging to try to figure out how can I measure something that 
can impact a lot of people at once. And I thought I needed to understand the experiences. So we led with the qualitative research on this project. And um, the survey that we constructed is actually completely grounded in quotes from the interviews that we did with students. Um, And it's written in this style, I feel stress when, and then a statement. And those statements are sometimes verbatim copied from our interviews. So maybe edited a little bit so that the wording is consistent. Okay, yeah. You know, we really wanted to take a human experience and find a way to represent it with data. And so I think, you know, mixing these methods, it's really important to me to like establish that we can do that. But you weren't just interested in one vertical slice. If you, yeah. were. you were thinking more long-term, tell me about that. Yeah. So the, the first year of our study, um, it was a longitudinal study with a single cohort of PhD students. And we had a bunch of people interested in the study. We actually had like over a hundred people reach out to oh, us. That's and fantastic. Yeah. It, it, the, the interest was great. That's and, great. Yeah. Uh, we selected 55 of them to be this kind of like representative slice of, uh, the engineering college here. So we had um, people in different programs. We had people at different stages in their program from first year to people who defended their theses during the study. Uh, And then we had some people who were, um, you know, international versus domestic student. We had men, women, non-binary participants. We had people uh, of all sorts of different, like, racial backgrounds. And then we had all of the engineering departments, uh, you know, uh, represented during the study. So we wanted to see over the course of a year what their stressors were like. So we interviewed them four times a piece and they actually, uh, we had 55 people. Uh, that's 220 possible interviews and we did 212. Wow. So they were really great about sticking with us through the study. Yeah. And we also surveyed them monthly throughout the whole academic year. So starting in, uh, starting in October and all the way through to May. For the finals piece, there are some who were done with their classes. So they were really seeing these like cycles of writing going on. There were others who were working on milestones. So they would often like defend a prelim or a dissertation at the end of a semester. So we got kind of got to see that get built up too. Yeah. Uh, especially in the semester they did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we had other stories like we had a first semester, first year grad student who in October hadn't matched with an advisor yet. Uh, we had a couple actually who, you know, we got to trace that journey of, oh, is this lab a good fit for me? And what's going to happen to me if I don't have an advisor by the end of my first year? And then get one and say, now I'm figuring out how to work with this advisor. So if we had done just one interview um, in the fall or in the spring, there are things that we would have missed. And we also caught stuff like uh, it was a really snowy February in 2022. We happened to do the interviews in February. So we heard how that like weather affected people's ability to go out and exercise or their mood. Um, And we didn't see that any other month. So, yeah, when when we designed the study, I kind of thought that, especially for the early stage students, all I was going to see is that, oh, stress got worse during the first year because they, you know, more things started to pile up and say yes to more projects. Sure. It was way more nuanced than that. Yeah. Yeah, We really saw all of these cycles, annual, semesterly, in year, and then in the whole stage of program going through the milestones were causing the stressors to, you know, show up and then go away. Um, at, at different rates. And, and we got to see some snapshots of that. And people would describe retroactively some things that happened and what their goals were moving forward. Uh, so we really got the sense for the fact that like these stressors are constantly moving around in flux. The working conditions, like the work-life conditions, 
are just in flux totally. Regardless of what stage of your PhD you're in, there are just, you know, depending on your field, there's going to be conference deadlines at some point. It's like one month out of the year, but that month you're doing a lot of writing. So your writing and research stressors go up. If you're taking classes, you've got midterms and then finals, and that actually rinses and repeats, uh, you know, over the year. Uh, And then the milestones typically happen. Again, it's kind of departmentally varied, but usually at the end of a semester or a year. Uh, And so those kind of build up and then they go away forever. Uh, You know, you're only worried about your quals until you pass your your quals. Sure. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. 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 As you did your research... Yeah. You, did you find anything similar, that there were different yes. kinds of stressors? Yeah, so we had um, we had two theoretical frameworks, and we added our own kind of conceptual model to talk about stress. Okay. And so uh, you've clued into this first one, the inherency of stressors, we call it. Um, there are stressors that just about every grad student in a field will face, and you would just expect them to do that. We call these ones inherent to the undertaking of a PhD. Yeah, yeah, taking a you know a set curriculum of courses to get through, having all these milestones to do, matching with an advisor and like navigating a relationship with them the whole time. You know, even if your advisor is great, there are certain things about just getting used to work with another person or being supervised. Oh, that, absolutely. Yeah, you can yeah. have a fantastic advisor, as I think a lot of people do. Yes, and yet still have to figure out how to talk with that advisor right, about right. your needs. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's a tricky thing to do. Yeah, yeah. every grad student probably needs to learn how to say no to projects at some point. I know I I ran into that. I'm no longer a grad student. I still could use that every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So before I talk about the non-inherent stressors, uh, every human being, I I love that you said that because one of our theoretical frameworks and, you know, the last time we chatted, I don't think I got to tell you about this, but we use a workplace model of stress uh, and we treat our grad students like typical employees in a job, right? Okay. Uh, I mean, it is, it's, the simplest definition of a job I could come up with is work, especially for pay. And that's exactly what you're doing in a PhD. There's a component that's sure. paid. It's supervised. Mm-hmm. Milestones are analogous to this like promotion process that you'd have in a normal job environment. But it's also different from a job in some ways. The advisor is kind of like your direct supervisor, but also your HR person for finance, but also your HR person for like on-the-job conflict. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, manages your promotion. So that's that's a really complicated, like multi-dual role relationship. It's known to be a terminal position because you're planning to leave and go elsewhere. So it's kind of like an entry-level job where sure. you might be you know you're there to gain experience and then go on and do something else. So there's a mindset there. So we use this uh, model of workplace stress. It's called the Job Hindrance Control Support Model, so JHCS. Excellent acronym. Yeah. And so uh, (laughs) it's kind of like an equation for stress. It basically says stress in the workplace comes from job demands. And if you perceive those as hindrances to getting your job done or to having an easy time with it, it's going to be more stressful. Uh, the level of control you feel like you have over the situation is going to contribute to how you perceive that as more or less stressful. And the amount of supports you have in the workplace, which could be, you know, some sort of intervention in the workplace, or it could just be a supportive person at work, at home, those all kind of add together to give you your total level of stress. Okay. And so there are a lot of 
interventions already that kind of add to this support. Uh, so going back to the inherency, I described these inherent to the undertaking stressors. These are ones everyone ex would expect. Some of the most severe stressors we heard about in our interviews were the ones we called not inherent to the undertaking. And these are okay. unique situations. If you're from very far away, if there's a sudden family emergency, a sudden expense, you wouldn't expect this to happen. And I think the expectations are part of what makes it so stressful is that you don't know this is coming. So yeah, in Research Live, I talked about one of our theoretical frameworks. This is called Bronfenbrenner's Bioecological Systems Model. So uh, Bronfenbrenner's model is about how individuals develop and interact with their surrounding environment. Okay. And so it breaks the environment into these shells of like growing size. So the first one's called the microsystem, and this would be people you interact with every day. Your closest friends, your partner, spouse, um, in a PhD setting, your advisor, uh, maybe some of the people who are in your direct lab space. Uh, and then there are successively growing shells where the outermost would be like the broadest sco uh, scopes of cultures slowly changing over time. Your locus of control decreases as you move further out from the center. And all that stuff out there is almost purely inherent sure. as well yeah. because everyone is subject to these broader spheres, whereas the closer spheres are more unique to you. So we found that these not inherent stressors were happening close in at the more proximal levels because this was with people you interact with more closely to you who are going to put you in these unique situations, your sure. family, maybe you have an advisor who's like very harsh and critical, but you also have more control at those levels because you can talk to these people, or you can exclude them from the system that's close in, or add new people in. Yeah. Uh, so although control increased moving closer to the center, there were more not inherent stressors at the center. Doesn't mean that they don't happen in the middle. Uh, maybe you have a reviewer too on a paper, right? That's somebody who you're not oh, going to yeah. interact with very directly with, and it's not someone who's going to be very close to you personally. And I like this idea that the closer it is to the center, the more the non-inherent stuff there is going to be important to you because yeah. these are relationships that are important to you. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say it like this. The people who are closer to you, you have this higher degree of control over. They're providing supports, but they might be providing some of the more severe stressors. Um, okay. So it's also important to think about what in there, it can provide intense support. It can also provide... A problem. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, okay. you know, doing mixed methods research, we found trends between these three theories and lots of connections with how they can help you understand the nature of these stressors that are occurring. But there are exceptions at every level. So all we can do is look at it, the trends. So this is, again, kind of that, that sense of, you know, people aren't particles. So we can come up with trends that happen, but we don't have direct mathematical relationships that we can we can build with these even even two people with you know totally identical social and cultural identities and similar structures and similar field to their systems there might be some you know individual psychological differences with how they perceive these stressors as challenges or, or hindrances to their experience. And so it's totally individualized, but we did see across our participants and across the literature, we reviewed some of these trends. And I think that's where our work is really the most useful to interventions is that we can say something like, if you have an inherent stressor that comes from further out, milestones, classes, you 
cannot really control for their existence. So the interventions that students do need are these treat the uh, symptoms types of interventions because you're not going to be able to intervene and say this student doesn't take a milestone right right now sure. at least you yeah. know yeah 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 and, and you you can change these inherent stressors by changing the culture or the policies within but that's slow but that's slow yes so that's where I think treating the symptoms is even more important for these things that can't be changed absolutely for the non inherent stressors mm-hmm. um, you know if you're a counselor this is somewhere where you might want to do something that looks more like problem focused coping strategies right teach somebody to you know have them roll play a difficult conversation uh, that maybe they have to have with their advisor, maybe they have to have with their spouse Mm -hmm. to get through a tough situation. Uh, That's something where they do have that level of control. So instead of being like a more regulating or accepting type of intervention, this could actually be more of like a direct solution focused intervention. And, And I think that's where I see the most future impacts from the work that we're doing. I have... A couple questions, please. We wrap yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> I'm interested, really, actually, really interested in your answer to this one. You, for a whole year, yes, had 212 conversations. I did about stress. Yes. <laughs> did that stress you out? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I I got I, I developed systems to do it. The the follow up interviews were shorter than the first ones. Okay. The initial ones were an hour long, and they were intended to be an hour long. And the averages actually did hover pretty close to an hour. Okay. Uh, the follow up ones were about ten to fifteen minutes, and the last one was a little longer, is about twenty to twenty five. And so, for. Uh, uh, They each happened in a set of months. So it was October, December, February, April. And I basically made a doodle poll of this is every time I'm not in a scheduled meeting or a class (laughs) on weekdays, on evenings, on weekends. Have at it. I want you to participate. So I'm going to be as flexible as I can be. Schedule yourself. Yeah. And um, it was usually top heavy. So there was this day, I think it was October 4th, where I did 10 of those interviews that were an hour long. And so it was Joe. just, yeah, it was, um, it was really, it was intense. Yeah. And, you know, some people, their experiences are very aligned with what you'd, ex- they're very inherent. They're what sure. you've heard in the literature. Yeah. And I heard some horror stories about various oh, sure. situations. You know, I took these detailed handwritten notes during each interview. And then what I ended up doing is on the days where I had a lot of interviews, I wrote those notes down as I was doing the interview, but the minute I was done with the last one, it was like kaput. I'm going to bed. I'm putting on TV. I'll play a video game, something. I'll go for a walk. You know, I was not engaging with the material after those long days. And I think that was just totally necessary. (laughs) I synthesized a lot of times in the months directly after the interviews were done. And I would go back to the notes and maybe re-listen to um, the interviews or or read the transcripts. And uh, I didn't do the analyses at all until... Uh, the summer, actually, Jennifer Cromley took this first crack at the uh, at the analyses in May um, after the April interviews, and then I didn't really touch them till the end of May, start of June, which okay. was okay. very space. very helpful to have yeah. that space. Oh yeah, um, but yeah, it's I mean, 
you know, there were some people who felt like, and I did not want to be a substitute for a counselor, but they felt like they were in a counseling session being able to vent about their uh, their oh, stress yeah. and uh, yeah. you know I I was clear to them like I I'm not a substance I'm not a licensed counselor yeah, yes. yeah but yeah, yeah. you know they said just the fact that they could you know speak and vent about it for an hour um, with someone who understood what they were talking about because I you know being a grad student just like them this isn't like they're disclosing this to a professor or to an administrator yeah. Yeah. where there's that yeah. like. There's that one nagging thought in the back of your head like, oh, there's a power differential here. But this is like another grad student who understands these problems just listened. Well, and who is genuinely interested in hearing and in knowing what people are experiencing too. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. undoubtedly. I have to know then as as an outgrowth of having 212 conversations about stress. Yeah. Did you run into any unexpected and interesting ways of handling that stress? Oh yeah. Yeah. Did uh, you did you meet anybody who's like this is what I do? And you're like, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought of that. Yes. I I'll give a couple and I'll give a couple to illustrate how varied it really is. Oh, how yeah. individual it is. Oh sure. There was one person and their idea was like, oh, I just accept it because this is how it is. And I cope by getting the work done so that it's done and it's not stressing me anymore. And I was like, so it, it, like, that doesn't sound like you're doing anything to me. Like you, you're just like, oh, work is stressful. So you work. I'm going to do work. But it was just like this idea of, you know, coping by removing the problem by doing it. So somebody, somebody was like just straight ahead. Yeah. Second star on the right, straight ahead till morning. Right. Right. I do the work. Um, there were some other people who um, were more disengaged. Uh, one person would just, anytime they were feeling oh, like they described a threshold of being overwhelmed, if they hit that, they napped. Just, okay. Just a nap is coming. Oh. Working from home, COVID era, just nap from home. Have there to have a go. nap. You know, I really wanted to have a good sense of rapport with the participants because I wanted them to keep coming back since this is longitudinal research. And I also, like, these were long interviews. So if yeah. they were just completely, like all about stress, boring. The, the coping parts were some of the most fun questions to ask. Because if I heard somebody was like reading a book I interest, was interested in or listening to music or playing games, uh, there was one participant, we had like a 10-minute conversation about Super Smash Bros. That's right? awesome. You know, yeah. And I'm just like, I'm going to make that connection with this person, make sure that they keep coming back. But also like, yeah, I, I play video games too. So if I know what you're playing, like let's talk about it. Um, so I, I think that was a... One of the other interesting things about that part of the interview is that it's like a chance to keep those connections and, and keep the participant coming back through the study, but also like, you know, make this interviewer uh, researcher not this like interviewer subject relationship, but this relationship between two people who are both yeah. equally in the mm-hmm. like e- equal stakeholders within this grad student experience and, and make that a little more clear. So yeah. I, I really liked that about doing the interviews is it felt like in many ways, the participants were my collaborators. Yeah. And oh, um, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And later when we developed the survey that we used to measure these different categories of stressors, we found, um, we had people come in and do these, they're called cognitive interviews where they read the survey that we've developed and they look for grammar question, you know, is, is there, are there grammatical mistakes? Are the questions clear? Are the directions clear? Are the questions relevant to their experiences? And we took half of the people for that stage of testing our new survey 
came from the year one study, invited back as return participants, and then half were brand new who had never seen the materials before. And it, that part's like really the most collaborative because they're actually contributing to the research design. Yeah. You know, some of the returning people were like, hey, Joe, we talked about this in the interview and you don't have it in the survey. And I'd have to think to myself like, oh, yeah, like, darn, we should put that in there. Or, you know, oh, that really was kind of not inherent, only really happened with you. Like, you know, I think it's important both the more questions we put, the harder it's going to be to keep people in the survey. So, you know, making some of those hard decisions. Yeah. I got to do that collaboratively with some of the participants. That so. is so great that they then got to help impact how a researcher like you is thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. That is what makes me very happy that somebody like you is working on this. Yeah. Right. And I do want to say thank you for this research. What I mean by that is I think it's important that folks are figuring out what this experience feels like from the inside. Yes. Yeah. By talking to people going through it. Yeah. Right. And by, as you say, avoiding too much, staring at one thing and saying, what here are you feeling? Yeah. That seems like a really beautiful approach because it allows people to be themselves. Right. They don't have to think just how am I lining up with this one to 10 scale? Yes. They don't yeah. have to think, how am I feeling this February? They can also talk to at multiple points. You can listen to the whole of their experience. Yeah. And I think it's from there that really good transformative work can be done. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for coming in. It's been yeah, fantastic. This has been great. This is yeah. a lot of fun. Thank you, Joe. Yeah. Grad Life is a production of the Graduate College at the University of Illinois. If you want to learn more about the Grad Life podcast, blog, newsletter, or anything else graduate college related, visit us at grad.illinois.edu for more information. Until next time, I'm John Moist, and this has been the Grad Life Podcast.